For more than 25 years, Atlanta has tuned into my straightforward financial advice. I'm Dr. Gene Hensler, and this is Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running and most respected money show on radio. My staff and I will give you fact-based, no-nonsense answers to your financial questions. To have your questions answered on the air, send them to me, Dr. Gene at Hensler.com. That's D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. This broadcast of Money Talks originally aired Saturday, February 27th, 2021. The only thing we have to fear... The economic health of this nation has been... more essential economic freedoms. The excessive decline... Greed... In the dollar... Lack of a better word... Late rally on Wall Street... Too big to fail... Growing the economy... Growing the economy... Good 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 Welcome... This is Money Talks. Good morning. What up, fam? You're listening to Money Talks, Atlanta's longest-running, most-respected money show on radio. I'm Troy Harmon here today with Nick Antonucci and none other than Dr. Roger Tuttero. Dr. Tuttero. Good morning, Troy. 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 For those of you that don't know, Dr. Tuttero serves as the Chief Economic Advisor for Hensler Financial. He's also Professor of Economics, Finance, and Quantitative Analysis at Kennesaw State University, as well as the Director of the Econometric Center. It's easy for me to say. Sure. Uh, An Applied Research Center housed in the Kennesaw State Coles College of Business. And he also holds the Hensler Financial Endowed Chair at Kennesaw State University. Good to have you on, Roger. Always great to be with you. Good to be back with the Hensler family. Yeah, uh, you do definitely feel like family, and I know our clients love to hear you. And um, maybe we'll talk a lot about some economics today. Great. Um, Plenty to talk about, lots going on in the market. Oh, man, yeah, uh, a lot of uh, strange happenings. Obviously, 2020 was... uh, very strange year. We have uh, officially a, a recession. We had uh, a significant recovery in the stock market after a, a major decline. The shortest bear market in history, lasting 33 days. 33 days. And 34% sell-off in the S&P 500. Yeah. And that was uh, the end of a long, long bull market. It sure was. Uh, Would we start 2009, March 20, or March 9th of 2009, going all the way through basically February 19th, I think, is when the market topped. Yep, and certainly not not how we expected the bull run to come to an end. I don't think anyone saw uh, a pandemic in our future, but nonetheless, um, you know, we had a contraction in the second quarter, what, Roger, 31? Yeah, 31.4. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, um, you know, we look at performance of the S&P 500. It's what I focus on a whole lot, but uh, the underlying cause of this is not always uh, easily identifiable. Uh, we look at the last uh, 12 months, stock market up 24.23%. Despite a pandemic and a recession, the stock yeah. market's up 24%, led higher by technology, the biggest uh, the best performer in the S&P 500 uh, amongst 11 sectors, 42%. Um, and surprisingly, not the worst performer anymore. Energy now has yeah. a positive return of 5%. For a while there, energy was the absolute worst performer. As you know, mm-hmm. uh, oil prices absolutely plunged um, in the summer. And we finally started to get a rebound off that. Oil prices back above $60 a barrel. 
Yeah, he's there for the energy I mean, sector. some of the things we've seen lately, uh, you know, coming into office, everybody expect President President Biden uh, to be, you know, make make uh, decisions that would benefit green energy. Well, one of the decisions he made actually benefited huge uh, crude oil, and that was shutting down of the of the uh, Keystone Pipeline. Right. Uh, so energy. This year alone is up 29.59%, the energy sector, oil companies. Uh, who would have seen that coming? No, you know, it's been an incredible time. It's funny, you said it was 33 days of what you said the bear right, market yeah, was. Yep. You know, if you had told us last February when we were turning on the television and we were down seven, eight, nine hundred points a day that, don't worry, we're going to finish the year up 20%, no one would have believed it. Right. And, and so what it really does is it makes a great case for something that uh, Gene Hensler has always preached, which is it's hard to time the market. You dollar called savage your way in because you're trying to catch the bottom of the falling knife. Sure. would have been about impossible. Yeah, yep. no, absolutely. So, yeah, and, you know, if you don't need your money, the, the best place for it to be is going well, to be Well, what's wi- wild in this case, typically the, the recovery is a lot more drawn out. So even yep. dollar cost averaging in this case, had you not plunked it down quickly, quickly yeah. you didn't it benefit was, from dollar cost averaging like you would have in right. prior <clears throat> Yeah, the, market the common pullbacks. methodology for a dollar cost averaging strategy is somewhere between four and six months. But you know, what it prevented us from doing, which is what we saw in 2007 and eight, is people that watch the market come down and, and then get out at the bottom. Sell at the bottom. Right. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe the steepness of the drop may have shielded some people. That is Sure. That is correct. Yeah, great point. Um, but uh, you know, the, the regular DCA wouldn't have worked uh, perfectly. In, in you got to figure some people were waiting for those statements to come in and look at them before they took any action, and maybe, like you said, the quickness of it. You know, it kept them invested. So when we look at uh, kind of the sector by sector uh, play here, year to date in twenty one. Uh, utilities negative 5.4 percent. Consumer staples similarly a 5.11 percent loss. Uh, consumer discretionary is down a little bit, one and a half percent. And then information technology, the the bloom has finally fallen from that rose. Although if you look over the last 12 months, that sector is still a huge winner, uh, 42.1 percent. I think it's interesting. You got the yield plays here at the bottom. Well, you got a yield here. Yield play here at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Utilities down five point four percent. Staples yet, are yet similar too. Real estate's up three and a quarter percent. Yeah, uh, it, that that doesn't make perfect sense to me. But I think I, I don't uh, know if it's just the the fact of actually owning real assets, something like that. Uh, like real estate as opposed right. to these others. Well, there's if, something if, if else what you've got. I mean, if you're talking about owning uh, multifamily housing, you've probably done okay. REITs to specialize right. in that. Yep. Obviously, if you're in the office side, if you're in the uh, big box retail, you, you're, you're in bad shape or at least yeah. under pressure. Although I will tell you, most of the office developers that I talk to are not as upset as I thought they might be. Uh, in the commercial real estate space, the guys on the office side will tell you there's two, there's a yin and a yang. And one half of it says, okay, it's true that we've taught people how to work at home, and so that may push back on the demand for Class A office space. But I've also had some C-levels tell me that they also think that what will happen is you'll spread people out at work. You won't allow the sharing of common spaces. The workspace will look different, and so that may help provide some of the offset to what the telecommuting and the Zoom economy is doing. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, On top of that, um, you know, there was some fear that we had uh, so many people in arrears 
on their rent. Right. That residential actually got some some negative pressure, but in recent weeks we've began to see a little more clarity. And uh, we even talked to a guy this week, Nick and I, uh, who told us while they were expecting you know uh, late rent in the double digits, it mm-hmm. looks like it's more around five six percent, which is not too far. I think those are delinquent mortgages, but not nonetheless, it's it's been improving. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, that's ultimately where it matters, right? It's, it's very checkered on the multifamily side. Some complexes are holding up quite well in terms of occupancy and rent service. Some are obviously under a little bit different pressure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, well, uh, you know, still, no matter what, a very interesting piece to watch uh, as the economy has has uh, dipped. And, uh, you know, I mentioned recession. Um, maybe we need a... a, a little way to catch yeah, up on what is a recession, how does it work? Yeah, we hear this phrase thrown around all the time. I hear people saying right now, with the economy in recession. And here's the interesting part. How do we define a recession? Technically, it's not two quarters of negative GDP growth. That's kind of a rule of thumb. What it really is, is it's a period of contraction in employment, trade, income, and production. Now, notice that's contraction. In other words, diminishing activity. Not diminished diminishing. And so it may well be that this was not only the steepest, but maybe the most short-lived recession in American history. Because I think we're going to go back, uh, we've already called the previous cyclical peak in February 2020. We clearly contracted in March and April. Well, the main numbers already started showing a little bit of improvement. So it could end up being a two-month recession. Now you're saying, well, how do you, why don't we know that? And the answer is the official arbiter of the recession, the National Bureau of Economic Research in Massachusetts, what they do is they write the history books. And sometimes there is a big lag from the peak of, a, of the cycle or recession to when they call it. The great example is 1992 election. Bill Clinton was out campaigning saying we're in recession. George Herbert Walker Bush said the economy started growing earlier this year. And finally, two weeks after the election, NBR got around to calling the recession as having ended in November of, two, of, of, two, one, of 1991. Uh, 1991. And so, you know, sometimes it takes a year to make the call. And so the NBR tries to be accurate. They don't try to be timely. So if we don't get another leg down, we probably would find out that where we are today is in a recovery. Now, we still have a ways to go. We'll talk about that later in terms of output and in terms of employment. But we are certainly seeing a pretty healthy rebound in the economy. And the forward-looking markets saw that. Yeah. Uh, Just to throw some numbers on that detail, just looking at fourth quarter earnings, and we have uh, uh, we're most of the way through the the earnings report. 472 of the S&P 500 have reported their fourth quarter earnings by this point. Uh, earnings surprise 17.98 percent, so wow. almost 18 percent better than expected in the fourth quarter. Uh, analysts that follow this stuff, uh, obviously they they uh, thought that we weren't going to recover quite as well as we did. Uh, Overall earnings growth five and a quarter percent for the S and P 500. Sales growth up 2.65 percent. So, uh, all things considered, um, not too bad. Well, we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we'll uh, talk some more economics. Money talks. We'll be right back. You ain't 
This is the dog. The dog of the week. All right, we got a dog of the week this week. Uh, really, in this case, it's not a dog at all. We're just uh, seeing the way that other countries are are actually incentivizing people to get out and get a vaccine. And I think if uh, you know if people are uh, true believers one way or the other, it's probably going to be hard to either get you not to get the vaccine if you get the opportunity, or to entice you into it. But uh, I did Are read giving this away week. Bitcoin or, or GameStop? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, giving away Bitcoin, wouldn't that break the government? I mean, you think we got some debt now. Uh, just a little bit of that, you'd, you'd uh, ramp up some serious debt. Uh, so out of Tel Aviv, uh, Israel has... Uh, uh, several bars that have decided that um, you know they've they've partnered with uh, vaccination clinics, and they are now offering free drinks to people to come on in and get their vaccine. There you go. Forty-three percent of the country uh, has already received uh, COVID vaccines. That's the country of Israel. Right now, we're about six percent having received both. Uh, shots in the U.S. and uh, it's more at least one dose is 13.6. Do you get uh, free drinks with each dose, or is it is it like <laughs> yeah. drink tickets you get to and it's got to last <laughs> yeah. you? Well, the and then there's another shots. there's another issue, Nick. You, yeah, a shot for a shot. It's not really like that. Uh, these are non-alcoholic shot, uh, what? Non- drinks. Yeah. Oh, well, no because deal. of the medical tie-in, you know, no they, they don't want you to have any adverse effect from either the drink or the. It shot. might help. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it might help until you don't get COVID or you don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, you feel horrible, but you don't realize yeah. it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> by, by the time you wake up, you forgot that you have another appointment in, right. you know, four weeks. But, you know, that is one of the big issues out there. I mean, I begin all my talks now saying there's a, we need to be honest. The economics and finance of the situation is subordinated to the epidemiology of the virus. And, I mean, the progress that we've made on these vaccines – has it been a game changer? We have our fingers crossed that any mutations of the virus will still be vulnerable to this vaccination yep. and therapeutics. That's the big open question, because the sooner we get shots in arms, I think the sooner we can start moving back toward normalcy. And that's a game changer for travel, game changer for hospitality. Absolutely. And I think it it opens up a huge portion of the economy. And, hey, let's face it, I want to get out and see people again. Right. It's, yeah. it, you know, it's just not much fun, especially family. When you're holed up and, you know, can't hug your mom, tough, right, right, tough yeah. stuff. Uh, and uh, the ja- the Johnson Johnson vaccine, is, is does it have FDA approval yet? Because, uh, I mean, that close. should just yeah. further add to the supply yeah. of vaccine that we have in the coming months. So yeah. hopefully, you know, we can get above. I think Georgia right now is only 10 point. We're one of the lower states. We really are. Yeah, we're, we're toward the bottom of the list. I uh, got it here. I think we're just over 10%, 10, yeah, 4, 10, 5. Uh, like I say, we're below the, the U.S. average at 13.6. Yep. Um, Georgia, officially 11.5%, okay. 6.2% with uh, both doses. So that's right on target. But okay. uh, some of the things that we're seeing, and they track this really closely, is uh, the efficiency with which the, the vaccines are being given. So uh, in most cases, it's around 75% in the U.S., um, meaning that for those doses that have been handed out, 
uh, state by state, mm-hmm. uh, those that have been administered, yeah, there's about a 25% lag. And mm-hmm. let's face it, the weather from last week uh, in the across basically the U.S. didn't impact us here in Georgia, but... Uh, I mean, some it, of the allocations were not going into arms, basically, right? Right. Sure. right. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, and that doesn't seem to be, you know, significantly different. I think, believe it or not, D.C., the District of Columbia, is at about 63%. Well, Whereas the state of Georgia is at 70, but one would think the distributing of vaccine, the higher the density of the population, may be the easier of getting it out there. Is right, my guess. right. Yeah, and that could be because yeah. you, you talk about DC. State. It's basically yeah. a city state if you want to consider it in that regard. Right. Um, so yeah, um, just don't confuse that with advocating for DC statehood, there, Troy. Just be <laughs> careful. So, but 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 Johnson Johnson is a great point because I think this is a one shot and done, right? Vaccine. It is, yeah, right. It's yeah. a more traditional technology, sure. in how it works. Yeah. And so if there end up being issues in terms of resp- re- reactions for some people to one, maybe they won't have it to the other. Well, not only that, but I know that there's plenty of people out there that a lot of their hesitation, Roger, is how the RNA-based uh, uh, vaccines. And, you know, hopefully with this more traditional vaccine, it will encourage those who are on the fence to, you know, okay, I'm going to make the move now and go ahead and get vaccinated. So Yeah, yeah. definitely be good. We'll be I, I agree with you, uh, Roger. I think... Um, you know, the quicker we can get uh, vaccinations out and, and being more widely accepted, the better off we're going to be. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's move along. Uh, we've been talking a little about um, inflation and, and what's to come next, uh, you know, out of uh, out of the economic situation. It obviously impacts our investments. Um, always a topic that we're looking at. Uh, some of the inflation numbers that we've seen, the official numbers, CPI, and I know that's not the one that uh, is most used um, among economists, but, uh, I mean, we've got fears of inflation, but we're also seeing interest rates rise right. at this point, and CPI is telling us, no, it's 1.4%. Yeah, it's one four over the trailing 12 months, but there are pockets. I mean, food is still up about 4% yeah. over the last year. Yeah. Part of that was the hoarder behavior that we saw last spring coupled sure. with disruptions in supply chains. But let's remember, so, you know, inflation, its original use of the word, was about too much money chasing too few goods. Mm-hmm. And I think where the concern comes from is that the Fed did a spectacular job last March and April of being aggressive in terms of pumping liquidity in the banking system. But right. the, monitor, the monetary base, as we call it, basically the size of the Fed's balance sheet, exploded once again. And so the difference between this time, in my opinion, versus 2008-2009, is we're actually seeing it show up as much faster growth in money supply as opposed to just the base. And what Milton Friedman used to remind us is two things. The inflation is everywhere and anywhere in monetary phenomena, but he also said that with regard to monetary policy, the lags are long and variable. And so it's the changes in the money supply in 2020 may not show up fully as inflation until 21 or 22. But still, the open question for classic monetarists or class quantity theorists, they would call themselves from 2008-9, was that we had three rounds of quantitative easing. We never really saw an inflation. But I would submit the part of the reason is that the banks carried a lot of excess reserves. And while the monetary base, think of that as the seed coin, corn for developing money, it went up significantly, it did not get translated into loans and money supply with the same intensity that it could have. 
Right. Uh, and, and it's, you know, some of that, um, there, there's been arguments that uh, it wasn't loaned in the traditional sense, that we saw other avenues like private equity and right. various other uh, ways that, that uh, could still lend money to businesses. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously at this point, uh, there are some differing opinions as mm -hmm. to what comes next. And I, I'll throw the name out, and I don't want to get too bogged down in it, but modern monetary theorists who seem to be, you know, a little more... Um, frequent in the the new uh biden administration uh have a, a new theory that basically as long as you control the printing press and yeah. you don't overwhelm supply that you can print as much money and hand it out as often as you want well and and, and, and i'm not a, a, a disciple of modern monetary theory but they also believe that essentially money supply gets created on the fiscal side as opposed to just directly from the fed and so it does kind of set traditional monetary theory a little bit on its head. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. I mean, I think what we all are concerned about is any of us that remember the 1970s and early 80s that lived through double-digit inflation, we remember what real inflation looks like. You'd be hard-pressed, other than a spike around 1990, for, for the vast majority of this population to really remember inflation. And so I'll tell you that when we teach classes in, in monetary economics in the MBA level, None of these students have ever seen a real inflation, right. because you know, anybody that saw it's probably in their 50s or 60s now. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I might have seen it, but I couldn't have told you that it was happening. Uh, right. my, my dad would be able to, you know, talk more about it uh, from a personal point of view. But when I look at uh, kind of what happened back then, in order to kill inflation from the 70s and the early 80s, Paul Volcker mm -hmm. spiked the overnight lending rate to 19 and a quarter percent. It's unbelievable when you see those numbers. Yeah, he, he really changed everything. He moved from targeting interest rates to targeting the monetary aggregates between 1979 and 1982. We got incredible volatility out of interest rates. We got a deep, deep recession, but he did break the back of inflationary expectations. And it set up a really good expansion in both the equity markets and in the broader economy through the middle and latter part of the 1980s. Yeah, it's the start of what we would consider around here. Uh, the 30-year bull run on bonds. Right. Uh, you know, they've, they've had some significant returns. Which, I mean, before we take a break, it's something we can come back to. Talking about the bond market, like, let's just look at what yields have done year to date. I mean, you have a 50, 60 basis point increase in the 10-year bond, and we're, what, two months into 2021. Yeah, so, uh, well, not uh, only that, Nick, but the yield curve is reflecting. Equities. Let's talk about, you know, what uh, the valuation in, in stocks. I think both of those are absolutely spot on targets, and uh, we've seen some significant changes in, uh, in both. Uh, and, you know, there's, we're kind of seeing a little bit of a wobble in the market overall these days. All right, well, we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, we'll talk some more economics and stock market. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. measures that we as a country are taking to control the spread of the virus have brought much of the economy to an abrupt halt. Many businesses have closed. People have been asked to stay home. Your money, your money is on the line. Is on the line. Money talk. Money talk is on the air. We're back. 
back. You're listening to Money Talks. I'm Troy Harmon here today with Nick Antonucci and Dr. Roger Tuttero. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, economics and the stock market. If you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. Our uh, question hotline number is 1-855-429-9166. The way it works, you call. You'll get our recorded message at the beep. You leave your recorded message, including your question. We play the question on the air and answer right behind it. Uh, if you prefer instead to talk to a human being, you can always give us a call at our main number, 770-429-9166. Uh, ask for the radio show or Kelly Lynn. She'll take down your information and get it to us. We'll answer on the air. Or you can email us, probably the most traditional and common way, uh, but... Feel free to use any of them. Uh, our email address, drgene at hensler.com, spelled D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. And uh, for those of you who might be a do-it-yourselfer, you can go to our website and find lots of information on investing, uh, taxes, um, you know, lots of government programs, especially to fight the pandemic. Uh, and again, that's Hensler.com, spelled H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com. So, Nick, you teased it before the break. Um, let's talk a little about what inflation, expectations, low interest rates, all this stuff, so where we are and kind of what's happened. Sure. Well, I, you know, we started the year, 10 years, less than 1%, I think it was around 90 basis Talking points. Talking about the 10-year treasury. The 10-year right? treasury. And, and really, there's there's two components to the yield on the treasury, right? There's a growth component and there's an inflation component. Right. And there's, I don't think anyone's going to deny the fact that as, as Roger alluded to earlier, you know, we're definitely in a recovery from uh, the recession experienced last year, early last year. And economic growth is forecasted to, I want to say uh, 2021 was around 5%, something like that. Um, so you are getting, you know, better economic growth. And we're all talking about, you know, increasing the money supply, the possibilities of inflation. Well, to me, the, the move we've seen in bond yields is indicative of exactly that. And what you're also seeing, at least more recently, as we've blown through one and a quarter percent on the 10-year, and as of today, through one and a half, you're seeing equity markets start to respond to that negatively. Right. So you had the NASDAQ today with its worst day since October down three and a half percent. The S&P shed two and a quarter percent. So you're starting to see, even this week, volatility in equity. Not just today. We might have finished higher in the S&P marginally, but the swings we're seeing intraday, it's, it start, it's a bit concerning to me. Because right. you would see the S&P down 1.5% yesterday, and this has happened almost every day this week, 1.5%, rallies back and closes almost yeah, near flat. You're absolutely right. The, the intraday volatility is getting a little unnerving just in the past week. Um, and obviously the growth, more, more growth-oriented names, the NASDAQ names are, are getting beaten down more so than the S&P 500, certainly more than the Dow. And, well, and the, the belief they, there is the growth expectations built into those names are obviously going to get battered more as you start to see, A, the cost of capital increase yeah. um, and, and all those you know future cash flows you have to discount back. Um, at a much higher rate now. Yeah, when you talk about uh, growth expectations, basically you're saying, to me at least, uh, 
the the price has gotten a, a bit dear compared to hmm. what the true underlying earnings that we have seen in the past have been. So sure. the only sense that it would make is that the market is expected to grow. And remember, we got a promise from the Fed that probably through 2023, we wouldn't see interest rate increases. Right. But of course, the market now is speaking on its own, and and we're seeing interest yeah, rate increases. Yeah, the Fed's going to keep short-term right. rates. Uh, yeah, sure. the, Fed, the Fed's right. power on short-term rates is clearly stronger than it is on long. Right. Obviously, most of that comes from the fact that in monetary history, they've typically conducted open market transactions on the short end of the yield curve. Obviously, in 60, they did it with Operation Twist. They did it again in 2008 to 12, move, moving on the long sure. end. They're doing it now. But I think you all hit on a key point, which is in valuations, you cannot decouple interest rates from, from metrics like the price-earnings ratio. Right. right. And so I think that as these PE ratios have gotten up. People have gotten a little more nervous. They're a little bit more sensitive to interest rates, but it's not a new idea. If you remember the late 1990s, Ed Yardini, the economist at Deutsche Bank, used to talk about the Fed model, where he said that if you take the price-earnings ratio and flip it to make it an earnings, earnings price, right. that ought to be kind of in line with the 10-year bond trend. Now, I'm, I'm not so sure you say it's you know one-to-one, but I think there is certainly some correlation there. So right. lower rates do support higher P.E. ratios to some degree. Absolutely, and and part of the reason, if you just want to explain the operations of it, it's cost of capital. Yeah. When you know when you've got a business and its cost of doing business or sourcing the funds to do business to run its operations begin to get more dear, uh, it's a little harder to make profits. And uh, the market knows this, uh, you know, intrinsically. So you see prices fall when interest rates rise. And there's obviously no set level of valuation that says, uh, you know. Oh, this is too high. It's time for a correction because, you know, just just to be transparent, we've been preaching that valuations are too high for well over a year now before the yeah. pandemic, and they've increased substantially since then. Yeah, and, um, and it's not surprising for me either to see that the NASDAQ, where it's tech-heavy and valuations have been, you know, much richer than the remainder of the market, uh, are where, you know, you're seeing most of that volatility in the in the drawback in price. And it's not to say the market as a whole. There's there's areas in the market where there is value, and valuations Absolutely. don't Absolutely. look horrible. But then there's other areas, as you mentioned, tech, the as they were, you know, termed during the pandemic, the, the work-from-home stocks, a lot of names like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the the valuations got, just got so far out in front of what, what seems to be anywhere near reality. Yeah, I, I would always rather invest in proven stocks with a proven history of earnings right. than to try to bet on the next best growth. And I'm, yep. I'm curious your thoughts on this. It, while the 10-year Treasury closed at about 152, intraday, the yield on the 10-year past the yield on the S&P 500. So right. we, we always talk about our you know clients reaching for yield, especially those in retirement who haven't been able to get that, right. that income generation from bonds reached into equities. Well, now that that's starting to come, you know, kind of to equilibrium, do you start moving? All right, I'm going to risk off now. I'm, I, I don't want the, you know, the risk of, of start the stock buying market bonds. and start buying bonds where I can generate the same yield. Yeah. But they, the people got to remember these bonds, uh, even if you're buying default-free bonds like treasuries, they're still risky there's unless you're willing to hold risk. it till, till it matures. That's true. Yep. You know, there's going to be price that, movement in it. As, and, and that's perfect, the perfect conversation to have, Roger, because as, you know, as you start to see yields rise, what does that mean the price of your bond is doing? It's falling. Right. So well, as you said, unless you're going to hold it to maturity, you're going to experience you know volatility in the price. Right. And I believe until you see a little more... Uh, 
I guess, clarity on what's going to happen in inflation. You're also not going to see a lot of folks piling out of uh, stocks and into bonds because let's certainly say, not even the, at the one and a quarter percent. Yeah, even at a one and a quarter percent, you're not beating right. inflation. Yeah. Uh, and, and the ten-year bond, we're we're now north of one four as of the last couple of trading days. Right. We were a little bit north of point five at the bottom last spring. That's ninety basis points. You put that on a ten-year bond, that's about an eight percent drop in the price of the bond. Yeah. Right. So if you had an eight percent drop in the valuations of the S and P. People will be talking about what a correction it is. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, you know, there's there's a few things outside of this that we probably ought to talk about. Number one. Um, more stimulus. Uh, you know, I use that as a question. Will we see more stimulus? Obviously, the debate right now, actively, one point nine trillion dollars. I think that's more or less a done deal. I don't. I don't know of anybody that doesn't believe that that's going to come to fruition. Right. I mean, I think you know there are obviously um, at least three kind of conservative Democratic senators that could try to nudge the policy a little bit. The $15, day, $15 per hour minimum wage is one target. Right. I don't know at the end of the day if anyone's going to go on record uh, crashing the deal. I mean, I, I, Is the $15 minimum wage part of the deal? They, I don't, they've loaded so many things in. Yeah, it. that's the thing. Is. You never know what yeah. you're getting. In the Therein back. lies a problem. I, th- I forgot who used to, to quote, you never never waste a crisis. Exactly. Right. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff in the package that is not really about COVID. And I think if you had a clean COVID bill that was only about st- uh, stimulating the parts of the economy that were adversely affected, very targeted for individuals that lost jobs, for industries like hospitality and travel, then I think you'd have pretty broad-based support. Sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think, where, where a lot of us get hung up is the fact that you see so much money going out to individuals who they're not out of work they're they haven't well, suffered hardship but it's I, just been kind of across the board part of that is the valuation in the stock market too uh, a lot of folks have received money that they they look at as a windfall and they decided well you know i got my 1200 bucks but what if i could make it into 2400 Turn this money. I mean, you know, they've. You're not saying yeah. Robin Hood of the Rescue, are you there, uh, Troy? I'm telling you that. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I yeah. think I think the stock market had yeah. inflation, uh, not inflation, but the the increase in prices actually is uh, at least partially a factor of excess cash in consumers' hands. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, I I believe that even beyond the 1.9 trillion, that we might have more rumblings of of even uh, you know more excess added. They're even talking about uh, boosting municipalities and and things like that in uh, you know in the the package that they're talking about at the moment. So, um, you know, I guess it's all a wait and see. But uh, I believe that's the tenor, and that being the case, the market likely to go up. Stick around. You're listening to Money Talks. We'll be right back with more of the same. Lowering interest rates. Lowering interest rates. Cannot stop. stop. The sharp drop in economic activity caused by closures and other forms of social distancing. When the world changes, know what to do. This is Money Talks. All right, we're back. You're listening to Money Talks. Uh, if you have questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. Our question hotline, one eight five five four two nine nine one six six. If you prefer, instead of talking to our machine to talk to a human being, you can give us a call at 770-429-9166. Ask for the radio show or Kelly Lynn, 
and uh, she will get you connected with us, uh, get your questions on the air, and uh, where we would answer them as well. Uh, you can also email us, email address, drgene at hensler.com, spelled D-R-G-E-N-E at H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R.com, or you can go to our website, um, hensler.com, spelled in the same way, H-E-N-S-S-L-E-R. Dot com. So, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about is the market uh, overvalued or, are you know, what's going on in, in the market. We've talked about inflation, various other things. We do have a question here um, that we would like to address uh, from a listener. And if I was a little more organized. I'll read it for you, try I got it here. There we go. So our good friend Hayden writes in, do you think Tesla's P.E. ratio is overpriced as well? Overall, do you think we're going to see a market correction coming, and if so, why? So Tesla, man, obviously you can't turn on financial news without hearing it yeah. be talked about, or you sure. know, you talk about cult stocks, whether it be you know Robinhood with with GameStop and all. Tesla, to, to me, has been the ongoing cult stock right. stock for quite some time, several now. years, and it was the first. I mean, it was before you heard anything sure. about GameStop or AMC or any of the others that are so popular for whatever reason at the time. Right, and so Hayden, it's it's one of those things to me where. It, in simple terms, is does the stock look expensive on a PE basis? Absolutely, it's yeah. got a PE ratio of, of over a thousand on trailing twelve months. Now, if you believe that Tesla will hit the growth estimates that analysts project, uh, you look on a forward basis, and it's trading closer to 140 times earnings. Yeah, and that's really. More but I would have told you Tesla was expensive. $300 ago on the stock price, and we're still yeah. at nearly $700, even yeah. though we're down 25% from the all-time high we saw just you know a, a month and a half ago. Yeah, probably. But it, that's, that's what's difficult in today's market, I feel like. There are those companies we, we, we've talked about. The darlings. The, exactly. The valuations just look sky high. And you have to remember... Your entry point and, and looking at valuation is incredibly important. So if sure. you're buying in now at a thousand times earnings, yeah. there is not a lot of room for this company to make an error for you to generate you know, a profit on your investment uh, going forward. Nick, that's a great point. Uh, I did a little math uh, behind the scenes. Um, and as you said, when you've got a company that has seen some significant growth in earnings, uh, you would expect the better way to value a company like that is to look at the expectations in the price. So uh, when you take the price and divide it by expected next 12 months earnings, right, or even more years than that, the the uh, forward PE in Tesla right now 137 times. So what is normal? Well, the stock market overall is around a 22 times forward earnings. Sure, and that's not to say that some companies don't warrant a, that's true. a considerably high multiple. If you're growing that much above the market, then you're going to trade at, at a premium multiple. Yeah. And that makes sense, but when you just take a step back, like consider this. So Tesla accounted for, let me see here, roughly 2% of U.S. car sales in 2020. Their market cap, as of today, this is after the 25% pullback we've seen in the past few weeks, is almost four times that of Ford, GM, and Honda combined. Combined. Combined right. four times. Yeah. Do you know how many vehicles you now have to sell as Tesla to justify the valuation? Well, let's let's talk about it even a little further. Five-year growth in earnings on Tesla, 28.38% on annual, annual average, right? 
Um, it's expected to grow by a higher pace at 37.85% annually going forward. That's uh, three to five years, right? So if if you back up a step then and, and try to justify that with the 137 or even just take a significantly inflated price-to-earnings ratio in the industry itself, which is around 50-ish, in order to get Tesla's price-to-earnings ratio in line with the remainder of the industry, and that, all, by the way, is after I remove Tesla from the other peers, right. you have to have earnings growth over the next five years around 80%. Annually, yeah. And, and I just told you what the history and, is. And keep in mind, I, I, I never weigh on individual stocks, but, I mean, Tesla's, all my car guys, friends, say this is an amazing automobile. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I we've we've driven them. We love them. And there's no doubt that the electronic, the e-vehicle uh, is, is the future. I think so. But, but here's the question. Not only are they making a bet on that technology, but every other car manufacturer, exactly. the GMs and the Fords are going to move in. So are they going to be able to maintain a monopoly in that space? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I understand with Tesla too. It's not just the electric vehicles. It's it's the battery technology right. that can right. be used so elsewhere. It's, it's SpaceX. It's yeah. exactly, yeah. and that's the argument. Is it a technology company? Is it a car company? Right. And there's not a clear answer to that. Yeah. But uh, you know, in, in simplistic terms, to us, yes, shares of Tesla do look expensive. Right. Uh, and and Roger, you touched on something that's absolutely significant. We talk to clients about this all the time. Just because you found an awesome product doesn't necessarily mean it's the most awesome investment ever. Right. <laughs> the two are definitely different. Yes. yes. And, and right. There's a second part of that question. I don't know if you want to dive into that at oh, all. Oh, the it market says, is the market yeah. crash coming? Uh, you know. We think the market looks expensive. We would expect some sort of a pullback. We've, if you look at the last few days, we're probably close to five percent now. Yeah. We, we don't expect the market to just fall apart and, and crash right. as you describe it. No. And, and part of the reason is, as I had mentioned earlier in the show, uh, we've got stimulus coming. Yeah, I think that's a. It may be a long. Right. You could argue the long-term effects, but short-term, I think that certainly is you know a, a positive for right. markets. Yeah, uh, valuations do look stretched. I've been talking about that for two years. I feel like a broken record at this point, but the reality is, by historical standards, valuations in the stock market do look rich. Um, but we see reasons why they could stay that way. Maybe even get worse. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I think I think it's a possibility. We've seen some pullbacks, but at the same time, uh, Uncle Sam, the cavalry is on the way. All right, so let's move on. We've got another question from Michael from Brookhaven. He says, I saw recently that MasterCard is going to start accepting cryptocurrencies as payment. Does this mean I'll be able to pay for things with my Bitcoin or that MasterCard will accept Bitcoin to pay my bill? Uh Second question, how soon until this trend reaches the regular banks? Thanks. Uh, well, I'll tell you that PayPal is already allowing uh, transactions in Bitcoin. Um, but I, I also, just to clarify, yeah, they're, they're talking about kind of a translation where you can use uh, your MasterCard to pay for items with Bitcoin, not to pay your bill. So this would be a translation within uh, MasterCard, and, and the company already will actually give you that service. So if you live in the U.S. and you travel to Europe, you can pay for things with your card uh, in euros. The difference between the euro and the Bitcoin, though, is, and, and this is where it really gets chippy, and, uh, you know, while, a, while MasterCard did 
report this, they really left us with more questions than answers because uh, they talked a lot about a couple of things. And I know Nick and I actually have debated this. And some we have differing some, opinions. We, and I've thought of something, so I'll do. let you finish. I want to ask uh, you this. But the two things that they have told us is, first of all, no volatile cryptocurrencies are going to be used. And the second piece, and this is, I think, where it all breaks apart, is they still expect to, to follow the anti-money laundering protocols that are laid out by the government. Well, if you've got Bitcoin with anonymous uh, transactions, you are not ever going to be able to But here's the question I pose to you. Okay. If I'm transacting with my MasterCard, I'm then creating a journal to entry. It's no longer anonymous. So I understand if I'm sending Bitcoin from one Bitcoin wallet to another. However, if I'm using a MasterCard, I'm creating a transaction there that is saying Nick has transacted in Bitcoin from this wallet. So right. you're sacrificing the, the, the part of Bitcoin that's attractive to some, the anonymity of it. Right. That's the reason it was designed, but I believe. It, it could alleviate the transactional issues that that you're talking about MasterCard seeing. It very well could. Uh, but I do know that, uh, you know, that was one of their major sticking points. So, and the other piece is the volatility. I mean... I, will, I won't deny that. Who, who wants right. to... I mean, they've, they've used this as more of an investment than a currency. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, I don't, I don't doubt that we will see some sort of uh, electronic cryptocurrency in use as a transactional right. currency in the future at some point but and what moment. i said is pure speculation i'm just thinking uh, how it could possibly yeah. work let I me mean, digital currencies are in some form here to stay the question is will the central banks be the issuer or right. will it be private entities like bitcoin but you guys hit it on the head in economics 101 we talk about properties of money one of them is unit of account one of them is medium of exchange, and one of them is store of value. And volatility takes away the store of value function in money. Sure. And so that's that's always going to be one of the challenges for Bitcoin. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think that's pretty much a complete thought. Uh, appreciate you being on, Dr. Tuttero. Uh, Nick, mark it up or down? Market's up next week. All right. There you got it. I'm a broken record. Thanks for listening to Money Talks. We'll catch you next week. All material presented is from sources believed to be reliable and current, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The contents are intended for general information purposes only. Information provided should not be the sole basis in making any decision and is not intended to replace the advice of qualified professionals, such as tax consultants, insurance advisor, or attorney. Although this material is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with respect to the subject matter, it may not apply in all situations. This is not to be construed as an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments. It is not our intention to state, indicate, or imply in any manner that current or past results are indicative of future profitability or expectations. Portfolio holdings discussed are subject to change. There is no guarantee that in the future these securities will be held in the Hensler accounts. As with all investments, there are associated inherent risks. Please obtain and review all financial material carefully before investing. Hensler is not licensed to offer or sell insurance products. This overview is not to be construed as an offer to purchase any insurance products.